Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The White Witch Podcast with me, Carly. Hope you are all well, witches. On today's episode, we will be talking to Danielle Blackwood, author of the best-selling book, The Twelve Faces of the Goddess, Transform Your Life with Astrology, Magic and the Sacred Feminine, and her recent release, which was also on our recent book review, A Lantern in the Dark, Navigate Life's Crossroads with Story, Ritual and Sacred Astrology. Before we get into that, our book review for today is a witchy fiction book called Serpent and Dove, written by Shelby Mahurin. The book's blurb reads as follows to give you some insight into the story. Two years ago, Louise LeBlanc fled her coven and took shelter in the city of Cesarin, forsaking all magic and living off whatever she could steal. Their witches like Lou are hunted, they are feared, and they are burned. Sworn to the church as a chasseur, Reed Diggory has lived his life by one principle. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. His path was never meant to cross with Lou's, but a wicked stunt forces them into an impossible union, holy matrimony. The war between witches and church is an ancient one and Lou's most dangerous enemies bring a fate worse than fire. Unable to ignore her growing feelings, yet powerless to change what she is, a choice must be made. This book is another fantasy witchy, enemies to lovers type book with a character Lou, who on first appearances comes across as a street urchin type who flits from various criminal activities, hides out in the local taverns and theatre with no real fixed abode. Overall, she can just look after herself. That is until she winds up running into, literally, Reed Diggory, a real goody-two-shoes, outstanding citizen. They are at complete odds to one another within society, yet are thrown together into a forced marriage under strange circumstances. I'll admit at first I wasn't entirely sure how this whole marriage setup came about. Further into the book, a lot more becomes clear. I'm also not a huge fan of romance within books, if I'm really honest. That sounds really bar humbug. (laughs) Just sometimes it can get a little bit past me a bucket with some books. There are some scenes when you think they have got the whole, he's a huge muscly man, come save me, and she's the tiny little wench witch who might need saving, but she does definitely hold her own. She gets punched in the face and has equally awful similar punch-ups more times than I've had hot dinners at the beginning of the book, so she is by no means a retiring wallflower. One section made me laugh out loud where she bellows out naughty songs. One is Big Titty Liddy that she has learned from the local pub. So you know she's probably a laugh on a night out. But if you just want to escape from the world for a bit to enter a fantasy land of kingdoms, witches, magic, romance, a singular, very steamy sex scene, then this could be the book for you. I did genuinely reach the end of the book, sad that it was over, wanting to read the second book. 
I wouldn't say it's one of my top reads. I would probably give it a 3.75 out of 5. But I would still like to read the rest of the books in this series. I enjoyed it a lot. I bought the hardback copy of this book and she's an absolute beauty. She has a black cover, a gold serpent and gold writing on the front. Truly beautiful. Would definitely say this is a book that you might want to read in the winter. Many a scene is set at winter time in the snow. Join me after the break and hear me try to withhold my inner fangirl with one of my favourite authors, Danielle Blackwood. Please cringe for me and hope you enjoy it, which is... Welcome back. So I'm here with the wonderful Danielle Blackwood. She is a best-selling author, registered counsellor and certified archetypal astrologer. Danielle is the author of A Lantern in the Dark, Navigate Life's Crossroads with Story, Ritual and Sacred Astrology, which is one of our recent book reviews. Her other book is The Twelve Faces of the Goddess, Transform Your Life Through Astrology, Magic and the Sacred Feminine. So, Danielle has fast become one of my favourite authors. Welcome to the show, Danielle. Um, thank you so much for having me today. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. I'm going to try not to fangirl too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, absolutely. You're so funny. <laughs> so, I'm absolutely thrilled you're here. So, I'm going to just go into it. I've got both your books in front of me here, which are absolutely beautiful. I love the covers, they are gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> In relation to your book, so this is the book that I reviewed most recently on the podcast. In relation to A Lantern in the Dark, can you explain to us, Danielle, how the expected crossroads we should experience in life relate to sacred astrology? So, for example, mm -hmm. the midlife transits and the Saturn return and a brief outline of what we should expect. And I've kind of explained a little bit about this with the book review that we did, but could you give us like a dummy's guide in some way? <laughs> of course, yes, I'd be happy to. Um, and if it's okay, I'd love to preface the crossroad times with, with um, describing a little bit of what I mean when I talk about sacred astrology, because I think that will add some yes. context. Is that okay? Uh Oh, absolutely. Please, please. Okay, sure. So to begin with, sacred astrology is a spiritual path. And I know that that can come to a surprise to some people, especially if all the exposure they've ever had to astrology has been, you know, through certain channels on social media and, you know, sun sign columns and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But really, it is an ancient study that Western astrology actually has its roots in Mesopotamia, and they are over 5000 years old. So it truly is a, an amazing, rich and deep study that can bring an embodied sense of meaning and purpose and help us glimpse the archetypal patterns that run beneath our everyday lives. So as I wrote in my first book, astrology is a symbolic language of energy. And when we come to see how its patterns are aligned with the changing seasons of the earth, it becomes a language that aligns us with the imminent divinity in nature and our own deeper selves. So sacred astrology is connected to archetypes in mythology and folklore, and it reflects on how these stories play out in our own lives to deepen our self-awareness and our sense of the numinous, which can give us a sense of the magic and the mystery that is beneath the mundane. So at its heart, sacred astrology is spirit expressing itself through archetype and story because whether we realize it or not we are all playing out stories from myth and legend and fairy tale and folklore all the time and in astrology or sacred astrology as i call it there are certain thresholds that we all cross 
at around the same ages. These are called biopsychic transits. They happen to everyone at around the same age and they bring up specific archetypal themes in our lives. So these rites of passage are significant chapters that do tend to shape our own sacred story. So each of the significant passages that I write about in A Lantern in the Dark has a powerful purpose to help move us forward on our soul's journey and to teach us the lessons that we came here to learn, to nudge us onto the path that we're meant to be on. But at these times, it can also feel as though we have entered the dark wood at, at these mm. junctures. Yeah, so, mm -hmm. so these are game changers, these transits. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I When I read your book, I was just going back, you know, almost like an inventory of like, oh my goodness, that age, that was when that happened. And, you know, it was right, just like, yes. every oh. single one that resonated. I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe, you know, spoke to friends about it and they were like, yes, this happened to me at this age too. And, you know, we're just comparing <laughs> stories. So. Oh, it's so, so funny. Well hey. It's so interesting how, how literal some of these can be. And I, I often do ask people, so can you think back to when you were, say, 29, 30, what was going on for you then? And then they'll stop for a moment and think and, and they'll go, oh, oh, yes, that was when this, you know, this thing, this thing happened. I mean, it's not always, you know, bad stuff or challenge. Quite often, yes, challenges are yeah. interwoven with these, but um, they really are times that help us aligned with our our purpose and what we're supposed to be doing so um and as we all know sometimes we get off track and we're not doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing so <laughs> these these thresholds kind of come along and say okay here's your opportunity to get back on that path again and really commit to something important so the first one as many people may know is the saturn return the first saturn return yeah. So, yeah, so that's the first major milestone in the human lifespan. And people begin to feel it on the horizon at around age 27 or so. They start thinking, wow, something feels like it's shifting, but I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it does feel like things are changing. So between around the ages of 27 and 30, you're you're kind of in that Saturn return, return zone. Um, so what it means when I say, or when astrologers say the Saturn return is that Saturn quite literally returns to the place that it was at your birth by sign and degree. And that happens approximately every 29 and a half years. So it takes that length of time for Saturn to go around the sun through all the 12 signs and then come back again to where it was when you were born. So that is essentially the Saturn return. So in astrology, Saturn is known as the reality principle, and it is associated with milestones and sacred responsibility with aging and also with maturity. Um, the first one happens at around 30, like I mentioned. The second mm -hmm. one, second Saturn return happens between around 57 and 60. And then if we're lucky enough, we will get a third and final Saturn return at around the age of 90. So it definitely marks these pivotal chapters in our lives of um, coming of age in a sense. So yeah, the first one, I mean, they, they every time you have them, they're going to bring Saturnian themes, which can, yeah. you know, really sort of show up as a, a sobering, serious or contemplative time. Um, sometimes Saturn brings challenges and trials. Um, and because Saturn rules time in astrology and mythology, um, it it can bring up a realization of time that we may not have noticed until now. So a lot of times people, when they're nearing 30, all of a sudden freak out and go, oh my gosh, I'm almost 30. <laughs> and, all, and, and all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, I'm not in my 20s anymore. And even though numbers are just numbers, there is something to it. It's like, yes, crossing that threshold into an adulthood of our own creation. So, yeah. yeah. So... Saturn's known as a wise teacher that can bring karmic lessons. And 
sometimes a sense of ourselves is mortal. You know, you get that sense like, oh my goodness, time is running out. It's not, you're not old at 30, obviously, but you do get that strange sense that, you know, time is running out and I need to get down to what's really important in, in my life. Um, Saturn can help us to step up to the plate, to commit to something of, of real importance. So it's not unusual for people in their first Saturn return to have a first child, to get married, or to commit to a defined career path that has meaning for them during their, their first Saturn return. Um, another thing that I've noticed is that around that time, relationships that are not built on solid ground can shift or end. But mm -hmm. what I also notice is that a lot of times that does happen, but then a person meets that significant other that is like really who they're willing to commit to long term. So it kind of happens in two sort of parts, not for everyone, but sometimes people will break off with a relationship that's just kind of not going anywhere. And then they meet that person who is like, wow, this is the one that I'm going to be with for a long time. So that happens a lot. So whatever the scenario, the first Saturn return is absolutely a significant milestone on our journey. Yeah. Do you remember yours? Yeah. So mine, I was just thinking of mine, actually. Mine was mm. real. Um, I had my daughter. I was kind of with like the first love of my life. I was going through a lot of career transition. It was all kind of happening. Um, but I... I, I had a very good time at that time, but then I've had other transitions, you know, other other um, times as per the book that have been, I've had a bit of a blend of good and bad events, if that makes sense. And I know you have stressed yeah. that in, in the book and, and, on, and here as well, that it's not all yes. good and it's not all bad. Like you will have mm -hmm. a blend, you know, of, the, of mm -hmm. them really. Um, mm -hmm. But that was a really good one for me. <laughs> Yeah, it's one that wasn't so good. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's true. It's what you say is a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Absolutely true. It's not all... People sometimes dread the Saturn return. And I'm, I always try mm. to say, you know, it doesn't have to be all bad. I mean, it is yeah. absolutely going to be significant, whether it is so-called good or so-called bad. But it it could go either way. And actually, it's usually a bit of both, <laughs> to be honest. Yes. yes. Yeah. I quite yes. liked reading about yours as well in the book and, you know, your different experiences oh. too. Um, cause, but oh, yeah. no, it, it definitely was. <laughs> I think that was the lovely part of the book. So I really enjoyed oh, reading. Different, I, I love that. I, I do love, you know, a bit of backstory on the author because you can kind of see what influenced you and, and, and mm -hmm. you know, your experience of, of what you're talking about. But yeah, the, the Saturn one was fine for me. Mine, my issues were at the Pluto. <laughs> the Pluto um square that that nearly finished me off Danielle I'm not gonna laugh oh that is that can be a really tough one I have to say so so yes the Pluto square that's the beginning of what is collectively known as the midlife transits yeah so a lot of people again you know people are usually sort of heading into 40 when they begin the midlife transit. So, um yeah on the edge of the dark forest once again um so do you mind if I start sort of talking about the midlife transits and then moving into each one yeah, at a time? Sorry. <laughs> Just, no, no, that's okay. And you're, you're right. The, the Pluto square is the first of those midlife transits. So the midlife transits are the next major crossroads after the Saturn return. And they are a series of four separate um, transits or energy cycles. And, yeah. um, 
they coincide with what society calls the midlife crisis quite often. <laughs> and <laughs> anyone who's been through them will say, yeah, pretty much. That's, that's kind of how they play out. Um, yeah. But the yeah, but the purpose of these thresholds is to, again, remind us why we're here, what we came here to do. And they often do bring up themes connected to what's working in our lives and what isn't. So these transits can happen very closely together between around the ages of 36, 37 and mid 40s. So that's sort of whole time span. These transits mm -hmm. are, are kind of happening one after another. And they they do tend to happen fairly closely together and sometimes they even overlap with each other. So life can feel like a bit of a roller coaster through those years. Um, for, for some people, it can be a stressful time for, for marriages and long-term commitments. Um, for others, they're questioning their career, their life direction. Um, they're reviewing the life that they've built to this point. But it can be a time of unprecedented soul growth and self-realization. They truly are transpersonal passages that lead us towards individuation. So becoming more completely and wholly who we are meant to be. So the first one, as you mentioned, is the Pluto square, which happens approximately between the ages of 36 and 42, depending on when you were born. So you'd have to look at your birth chart to get those exact dates. You know, I think there are some decent uh, um, apps that you can get to find transits, like Time Passages has a, a good one. And um, alternately, you can book a consult with a professional astrologer and get those dates. So, but you don't really need the dates because my whole point in the book is that these transits happen to everyone around the same age. So if you know you're between those ages, you pretty much know that you are close enough to be feeling it, exact dates or not. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 So the Pluto square. So Pluto is the shadow <laughs> amongst other <laughs> things. So <laughs> it can be a time of intense shadow work. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes it feels like we've wandered into an underworld of sorts. A lot of people do tend to feel raw. They feel vulnerable. They may feel exposed or or shaken to the core by intense emotions or um, meetings with extreme situations or extreme people is common during the Pluto square, where it's just like, wow, you know, you're just really um, put through the ringer, so to speak. So the purpose of, of Pluto, any Pluto transit, but particularly this one, is about releasing toxic patterns it's about transforming and releasing old trauma and helping us to step into our power and really in a graceful and balanced way. It doesn't always feel that way on the way to, to getting there, but um, yeah. So it's about shining a light into the dark places of our psyche and finding the gold in the shadow as um, mm. Jungian um, analyst Robert Johnson called it. So. Yeah. It also can be a time of regeneration, healing, empowerment, and ultimately after you get through all the stuff, it's about rebirth. So once mm -hmm. the, the Pluto square begins, it typically tends to last for about a year and a half off and on. So, so you said that yours was quite um, significant? <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, Daniel, to be honest, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because it mm. shook my entire life up. Everything you've said with shadow, mm. uh, shadow work, with um, family issues, everything came to a head, but it was a huge shedding of an yes. old skin, in a sense. It was hugely yes. about rebirth. You go through it and you think like, and you know, you're right. Like you say, you think you're in the underworld. You kind of... For me personally, I felt a bit dead inside in the sense of, you know, everything feels like it's dying. Um, but then you, you, I was creating, but I didn't feel, I still felt like I was in the underworld existence. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's now I'm looking back on it and you're very, what you said about the year and a half as well is very much the case of how long that process was, but where it takes you to, mm -hmm. I mean, from, well you know one would hope but where it took me to was just 
a huge rebirth and I really resonated with that part of the book and and everything in there really just really mirrored my experience of it right that's thanks for for letting me know that that's um yeah and I mean everyone gets these transits in their own way you know to you know thinking about their own life specifics and not everyone's going to get them in the same way but the Mm. same or similar archetypal themes are going to play out at the same time for everyone but like yeah but like I said everyone will have them in their own individual and unique way depending on their their life specifics so yeah it's um it's typically a pretty tumultuous time for sure um in the book um, you've read it, so you, you you know, but I'll just mention again that I correlate the midlife transits to the descent and the return of the goddess Inanna. Um, so she, I don't know how many people know the st- her story, but the midlife transits do tend to play out very closely to that myth. So it is the moving into the underworld, the feeling that you are somehow disconnected or in the underworld, you're not able to use your usual resources to get through these times. You need to really um, tap into your own inner knowing. Um, anyway, yeah. So, and then coming back up again, tempered, reborn, and and more powerful than you were before you went through all of these 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 times. So, the next one, because there are four. <laughs> um, <laughs> is, Yes, it's called the the Neptune square. So essentially Neptune in the sky is making a contentious or square aspect to the Neptune in our birth chart. So this one tends to happen to people between around the ages of 39 and 43. So as you can see, that one and the Pluto square do tend to overlap for some people, Mm -hmm. um, which can be really like a lot on your plate and I'm sure there's yeah I'm sure there are people out there listening going oh I bet you that's happening right now for me um I think yeah mine did when I had mine um they happened simultaneously and it was just such a such a time um but with Neptune it's a different kind of a archetypal character obviously than Pluto um and what it can bring up is people often feel a sense of ennui or dissatisfaction when they arrive at this point. Um, A lot of people report feeling a a loss of focus, feeling adrift um, in a fog is a a way I've heard it explained many times from my clients, or a yearning for something that people might not even be able to name. It's like, oh, I have this Mm -hmm. longing or this yearning, but it's like really hard to put your finger on it. Neptune as a planet, as an archetype is very um, nebulous. Everything feels foggy and misty and just sort of hard to pin down. Um, For some people grieving over lives that we didn't live or for choices we didn't make comes to the fore. Dreams that Mm -hmm. we might now realize are, might only ever just be just dreams. Um, that can be really difficult because as long as it's a dream, you know, you're like, oh, it could happen and it may happen someday. But at this time, people suddenly start thinking, oh wow, okay, I'm not, I'm not young anymore. Not again, not old, but um yeah. <laughs> you really get that sense of like, oh my God, I'm not in my even in my 30s anymore. This is this is a whole new phase. So a lot of people do tend to feel more sensitive than usual. They may feel anxious, depressed, or a peculiar thing with Neptune transits is this desire to want to escape, to soften the edges because life feels harsh and they just feel like, oh, I just want to retreat and curl up in a little ball under my covers. You know, that's that's very Neptunian. So Mm -hmm. Neptune teaches us the medicine of letting go the purpose of this transit is ultimately to find meaning in our lives and to realign ourselves with a sense of the magic and enchantment that comes with surrendering and and allowing ourselves to go with the flow it's about finding a connection to the spiritual on our own terms so that is the neptune square in a nutshell there's lots more we could talk about about any of these transits, but I just want to make sure I give people enough information so that they 
get the idea of how these can play out. Yeah. So did no, no, had... no. There is so yeah. much in the book to every set. The, the, the part mm -hmm. that I love with each transit is you have um, every section. I really loved the um, different you know exercises you can do sorry i've got a really noisy cat that's interrupted us my i can't even hear that's okay i have <laughs> my cat on the other side of the door he's just so announcing that he's here enjoying the podcast um i particularly <laughs> love the exercises in for every transit they are so relevant and I loved when you kind of mentioned different herbs that you could work with, different crystals. I loved that. I just thought it was such a nice touch. And it Thank all kind you. of, uh, it, it's like, there's so much to work with. It's, you know, Daniel just, she doesn't just give you the explanation of each transit. There's so much that you can use to work with when you're in it. So I'm almost kind of thinking, I know you're, you know, I'm just about to hit 40 next month and I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm probably going to have the Neptune square coming up, but at least I know how to deal with it this time. <laughs> yeah, um, so then it's transit going forward. Hopefully, I well, maybe not deal with it. That sounds quite cocky, but I'll have some things I can do that might lessen oh, definitely. the flow. And... <laughs> I think that it really helps. It really helps people when they kind of know what the purpose of these times are. They, they can put a name to it and sort of say, okay, I get where I'm at right now. And, and because if you don't know, I mean, I've had people go, am I going crazy? What is happening to my life right now? And I'm like, no, you're, you're not, you're fine. And this is absolutely <laughs> normal. Just hang in there. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's yeah. True. <laughs> I think, I think having that little bit of understanding of the developmental purpose of these times can be so valuable and, and give us comfort because it's not your life will be okay. You will be okay. Do you absolutely. want me to describe the next couple of midlife transits? Do we have time? Oh, or... if you, absolutely. If you're happy to, we yes, love to. Sure, absolutely. Um, the third out of the four midlifes is um, called the Uranus opposition. And this one is typically the most closely um, coinciding with what people call the midlife crisis the dreaded midlife crisis it mm -hmm. is astrology and astrology in uh sorry uranus in astrology is known as the great awakener um and one of the old adages with uranus transits is expect the unexpected so it definitely can feel like unexpected changes in the air sometimes crisis and upheaval but it's usually followed by an emergence of a new sense of self, creative breakthroughs, sudden realizations, and self-actualization. Um, the job of Uranus in our psyche is to keep us from becoming stagnant. So whatever needs change or to be sort of shaken up will happen usually around this time. So if we've been stuck in a rut, or procrastinating on something that we know we need to get onto, this transit can sometimes be disruptive and even shocking because it's the, the one that will pull the rug up out from under your feet if you're not paying attention to what needs to be changed. So yeah, it's, yeah, its purpose is to wake us up, um, sometimes by dramatically clearing away old structures in our lives so that we can keep growing. So mm -hmm. yeah. I always yeah, I always tell people like like homeopathic medicine to introduce change in small ways if you can so that that your psyche feels like okay something's moving so it's not like the universe has to step in and go okay you're just stuck you need you need a shove like <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. none of us really <laughs> want that we want to be able to kind of co-create with this energy and I think that helping I mean knowing that this is what we need right now we need change it can be so helpful because then we can be more conscious about the changes that we bring into being so yes. yeah yeah and then the last one is called the saturn opposition so saturn mm -hmm. in the sky is opposing by sign and degree the saturn in your birth chart and this one happens around the ages of 44 to 45 um it's it's the last midlife transit. A lot of people are really happy when they hear that that's the case. <laughs> um, and the interesting thing, okay, so I'll just give you a little quick um, Saturn lesson. So Saturn cycles occur every seven years, okay? So 
about 14 years ago, if you're around 44, 45, you mm -hmm. would have been having that first Saturn return. So mm -hmm. that now two Saturn cycles have passed. So again, here you are, Saturn is staring you in the face. Saturn is that stern teacher that is also a wise teacher. Um, this 44, 45 can be a time of fruition, a time of harvest, but it can also be a time of reckoning. And again, often it is a bit of both. Um, the purpose of this threshold is to, cult to cultivate discernment. Saturn will show you what's working and also what isn't working. It's going to ask you, what are your self-limiting beliefs? What are the consequences of, of the way that you've structured your life, unconsciously or consciously? So it's asking you to step up and confront the reality of who you have become. It's a, again, remember Saturn is the principle of reality. So it can be a time for a reality check so that you can live the next phase of your life with much more self-awareness. Um, for some people, it's a time that they're called to make some difficult choices so that their life more clearly reflects who they are becoming. So that's yes. the last of the midlife transits. Yes. Yeah. Um, only three more, to, only another yeah. two more for me to go through then. And that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is okay. I know it can be trying in the midst, but I, I think one of the best things that you can do is just ask yourself, <laughs> ask yourself, what is trying to be, you know, what is trying to come from this? What is yes, trying yeah. to emerge um it's always something so just reflecting and contemplating can be you know one of the best things you can do journaling yeah. can be so helpful um yeah um did you want me to talk a little bit about the second saturn return that occurs between 57 yes, and 60 sorry i know we've yeah, got that one as well okay. and actually again That's i okay. need to say they're not always kind of you know i know i'm joking about this as if it's a bad thing but they're not they they can be you know, great things that happen at these midlife trances, these, you know, these different times, and, you know, oh, it's yeah. not bad. So I need to, I know I'm making a joke about it being, you know, the hard stuff, oh, no. a, like, a tower moment, but there are great things that can come through from them too. But yes, please, oh, if yeah. we can go back to, um, so the second Saturn return, um, and is that around, is that your late fifties that that occurs generally? It, yeah, it is. It's mm -hmm. um, usually people start feeling this one around 56, 57. Remember mm -hmm. the first one I said, you start feeling around 27. So this one, so Saturn's yeah. just getting prepared to come back to that same place as it was when you were born once again. So it is typically around 58 to 60 that we're right in it. Um, yeah. So Saturn has made another full circle around the solar system and has returned to the place as it was when you were born. So instead of facing 30, we are now facing 60, which is a totally different life stage. So again, remember that Saturn is associated with time. So once again, time takes on that tangible and sobering quality during significant Saturn transits. So many people are looking back on the story of their lives at this point and seeing just how far they've traveled. So I think that um, a lot of people initially feel a sobering reality around about the number 60. Um, mm -hmm. uh, thoughts of mortality can begin to arise. It's like, how much time do I have left? Um, for other people, it's about, um, am I going to be retiring soon? Um, so there's a lot of things that are coming up there. You're definitely coming of age again in a brand new way. Uh, mm -hmm. Other things are health issues. I mean, for some people, um, around this age, they start feeling some aches and creaks in their bones and different things. Saturn rules bones, by the way, bones and teeth. Oh, okay. so if, right. Yeah. So if you're having any kind of a Saturn transit, do tend to your, your bones and your dentistry because things can crop up around that time. So <clears throat> some people are becoming grandparents around the second Saturn return. So there's a shift in identity and, um, yeah. It, it really is a turning point where we're called to reassess our values. So, so yeah, so I think that a lot of people do come to this threshold feeling, not everyone, but some people feel fear. They feel like, is this, you know, am I going to feel depressed or stagnant or, 
Is there going to be stasis in my life? But it absolutely does not have to be that way. And mm -hmm. even though it is true that we are moving into this new phase of life, I think that viewing it through an archetypal lens can be a deeply meaningful way to align with this rite of passage. It's about distilling all of our life experiences and reflecting on what we want to do with the time that we have left. So I, I have in the book, you know, a revise your bucket list. <laughs> it's one of the big, yeah. you know, things. And I think it's really important around the second Saturn return because it's like, what's important now? It's going to be probably different things are important at that stage than they, they were obviously at the age of 30 or even 40. It's a whole yeah. new time. So asking what gives our lives true meaning, what is our purpose? It is a time of doing some serious soul searching. So it can also be a time of excitement because we're stepping forward into this, this new, this new phase. We've, um, we're coming to that place where we are becoming, you know, the, the elder, the wise, the wisdom keeper, the wise one. So that is, it's a, it's a very magical time. And I think reframing perspective around that can be really helpful. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, you know, my, um, so when I've seen people going to their 60s, I've seen that as being a really magical time for quite a few people because it's almost mm -hmm. like letting go of the shackles of, you know, sometimes it'll be working, she might be retiring. It's yes. also, which you talk about so wonderfully in the book. Um, we've been talking a lot about the crone, um, embracing the kind of, like the crone stage. And, and, and I feel like you, like, you do the stories in the book so well because we have the story of Vasilisa, Vasilisa but we also see mm -hmm. Baba Yaga towards the end mm -hmm. of the book and looking at it from both perspectives, which obviously, you know, rings, it, it connects to the Saturn return um, and obviously the second Saturn return. And it's mm -hmm. really well done, you know, with the... I won't give too much away with the stories, but I felt like that was such a good example, all the stories that are intertwined through the book to link mm -hmm. to our own stories and those different transits. It was just so lovely. The way it was written is just lovely because there's so many different aspects to consider, not just, you know, what's happening um, planet-wise, if that makes sense. I, I get that, yeah. I had such a um, wonderful experience writing the stories, re retelling the stories of Vasilisa and the Baba Yaga, especially the um, the story of the Baba Yaga through her own point of view for the second Saturn yeah. return. I actually cried when I wrote that. It was just so, you know, yeah, just coming to that place. And I don't know if you remember in the story, but yeah, it's and just looking at her from such a different perspective, because I mean, in a lot of the, the old books, they're very, I mean, let's, they were, you know, Christianized stories, nothing yeah. against yeah. Christianity or anything, but, um, but they were Christianized and Baba Yaga, of course, you know, villainized as the, the, the ugly demonic witch kind of thing that eats yeah. children. So I read her story and I, I read many different versions of it. And I thought this, she's a wise woman. She is not, yeah. <laughs> she's, she is the wise woman who lives on her own in the woods. She's a, probably a herbalist. You know, yeah. she rides, she rides around in a mortar and pestle for goodness sake. I mean, yeah. <laughs> which exactly is, a <laughs> yeah, yes. And, um, she's a stern teacher, but she's a wise mm -hmm. teacher and she teaches us the, the value of learning the cycles, learning the cycles of time. She's a very Saturnian teacher. And I, mm -hmm. I really became very deeply acquainted with her th when I was writing the book and I have found, uh, found a whole new appreciation for for her and um her stories definitely oh honestly i did an episode on the podcast about baba yaga because i'd read it within read your story in the book and it just really in, you know inspired me um but she, you are right she is the epitome of the hedge witch you know she is mm -hmm. a, a wonderful deity to work with if you you know, if you are into like, you know, the herbal side of things and, and you know, hedge witchcraft, mm -hmm. but she's so misunderstood. And the story you put in the book was just such a good take on it and a more realistic take as well to some of the 
horror stories that Baba Yaga does have. You know, there's always different stories of her as the, the benefactor, if you're lucky, or, mm. you know, she might eat your children. Um, but the, the stories in the book are just lovely. And it was such a different, but really, like I say, realistic take on it. And it, it gets you looking at the different perspectives of time and how at one point she would have been the young Vasilisa, you know, she would have been yes. um, in her, you know, her like mid twenties. And that was a really good way to look at her in a different light. But no, mm-hmm. I, I, I adore the stories. And, um, and, and I was gonna, can I ask you a cheeky question from the one of our patients? Sure. <laughs> Because I, I'm oh, sure. really, <laughs> yes, really coming on because one of my lovely Patreons, Kimberly, she actually recommended your books to me, and um, she is really excited you, that you're coming on. Now, there's one thing I wanted to reference from your book about mm-hmm. our birth chart, um, yes. and it was just when I heard this, I, I got tingles like I mentioned it on the book review. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your book, in, in the chapter, the first chapter. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the language of astrology, your birth chart is a snapshot of the heavens taken at the moment that you came into the world and took your first breath. It is as unique to you as your fingerprint and no one has ever had the same chart as you in all of history and no one ever will again. The birth chart has been called a psychic blueprint or the map of one's soul and that absolutely got me and I thought oh my goodness I've never thought about it like that um so yes I loved that and I and it really made me realize actually they hold you know such magic and they just they just they are much more important than I think I've ever really considered Mm -hmm. you know um but one of my patreons Kimberly who recommended the book she wanted to ask so she was she's a nurse who specializes in labor and delivery they were her and another nurse were talking about birth charts and I don't know if you can answer this Danielle but she made a point that oftentimes in the chaos of births the birth time may or may not have been exactly accurate to the minute as there is so much to tend to in those first few moments between mother and child so she wondered how much would the difference of a minute or two or three in the documented birth time make in someone's chart? Um, I don't know if you can shed any light on that at all. Yes, I, I would love to. I'll, I'll try. Um, so so my, my own mom was a nurse and um, I have been aware that birth time is not always able to be documented for the exact time of birth because of like you said all of all the things that are going on when a baby is born so in Mm -hmm. fact um up until about what was it 12 years ago i was told that my birth time was 15 minutes earlier than what i later discovered it was so we yeah so we don't have birth time on our birth certificates in canada so i relied on mum time which many people do um so i i I took it for granted and one day i decided i'm going to contact the hospital that i was born at to see if 11 o'clock p.m was indeed my actual birth time and i'm also aware that a lot of hospitals do tend to round out um birth times to the quarter hour because I have so many clients that are born at you know say 10 10 15 10 30 10 45 you know that kind of thing so um yeah so the hospital got back to me and they told me my birth time was actually 11 15 on record so that 15 minutes actually didn't make in fact, make a measurable difference in my birth chart. So there's a lot of things that are going to stay the same, but there's a couple yeah. of things that I was like, wow, okay. So um, so while a minute or three minutes won't likely make a major difference, the closest we can get to the exact time is ideal because what it does is it sets up the whole wheel of the chart in a way that is completely specific to you. So even a few minutes difference can place certain key planets into another house, for example, or mm-hmm. even change an angle, especially if you're born, say, so the rising sign, just a little bit of astrology 101, um, you know, the rising sign. So it changes yes. yeah. sign 
every two hours, but it's ticking those degrees back very quickly as it's moving through mm -hmm. that particular sign. So say you were born right at the end of a particular rising sign. Say you have, you know, Sagittarius rising, you know, at, at um, 29 degrees. That means that if you were born just a few minutes later or before that time that you've got, you may have Sagittarius rising or it could go click into the next one and you might have Capricorn rising. You see? Yes, yes, so yes. so it can definitely change that, you know, the closer we can get to to the actual time is is the is ideal, obviously. But it's still pretty, pretty close is still pretty good. <laughs> um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, yes. I know. So when I was having my um, my son, when I was giving birth to my son, I was keenly aware of getting the right birth time because yeah. um, I'm an astrologer. So I, I was rushed into an emergency C-section after being in labor for 18 hours. Yippee. That was really wow. fun. But, oh, um, you know, it was really hard. And so here I am on the stretcher and I was craning my head around the doctor and nurses so I could see the clock on the wall. I was just like, get out of my way. <laughs> and because I wanted to get that time. And um, so I actually knew his birth time even before I knew what sex my child was. <laughs> and so, so now I'm just sitting here thinking, I hope that that clock was the right time, <laughs> you know, but um, so I, that was my, my birth time story for my own son. <laughs> It's yeah, so, so funny you say that because I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm just sometimes thinking if I'd have just held on for maybe another 15 minutes, she wouldn't have been the star sign she was, and it might have been so funny. Hey, but but in in, this, in astrology, though, we do say that we choose our charts, so it, ah, I mean, okay. if, you, if you take that into consideration, too, I mean, say a child you know is um, you know, is not born on time. And, or, you know, the doctors say, oh, this is when your child shall, shall be born and the child is late. Maybe they yeah. wanted to have those certain qualities or characteristics that were in the zeitgeist at that time that they came into the world. So, yeah, I think that. Um, I love that. Yeah. That's so true because it's like, you know, if you have them, um, if you think about it, you know, when you have babies that are overdue. I mean, I was two weeks overdue. I clearly didn't want to be a cancer. So it's <laughs> you know, it's so true awesome. you know we, just, we maybe we do decide and I really like that concept I really like what you said about I think you mentioned it in the book as well that you can actually you know like you know of people to phone up the hospital if you if you haven't been able to get your birth time mm -hmm. or been able to find it out because I know some people mm -hmm. I've actually done a few I mean not proper birth charts but I've helped people do their you know work on a birth chart and they haven't had their time of birth so it's been a real it's been a real disappointment to them because they wanted to get that it's been quite vague mm -hmm. um but now I know that you know I think that if you are fortunate mm -hmm. with some hospitals they will actually you know give that to you yes yeah and another few tips too I can give you is um sometimes people were not born in hospitals they were born at home or in different situations um so in that case one way I've seen people have some luck is um, some person will have written the time down in a baby book. So, mm. so I've had clients digging through boxes at their parents' house looking for baby books <laughs> and, yeah. and actually finding like some really specific times. Like I've seen people say 1.52 a.m. That's a very specific time to write down, you know, so that, that I, yeah. I would tend to think that that time probably is fairly accurate. Um, so that's another way people can find their time if they don't, if yeah. they weren't born in a hospital. Sometimes some wonderful person has documented that, and that's always a nice thing to find. Now, you Absolutely. still can. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, no, that is a really good point. You know, if, 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 um, because yes, or, you know, more than it's quite, um, most people at that time will, you know, put together baby books and so on and usually there'll be mm -hmm. some sort of record but as time goes on we you know us mums myself you know, have to remind myself every now and again when my daughter asks me um mm -hmm. I'm just joking about being a cancer I've I'm surrounded by multiple cancers in my life <laughs> I, just, I just don't think they could our family could cope with another one so. <laughs> <laughs> well everyone, 
Oh, every oh, sign yeah. has its its great qualities. That's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my god, and that actually takes me on to seamlessly to my um my next question that I had because I'm in the middle of reading the Twelve Faces mm. of the Goddess, your first book, Danielle. Oh, great. And I'm I love this. I'm I'm very early into it. I love the goddess that you've assigned to my moon and fire sign. I, I won't give them away unless you will, but could I ask you, so with mm -hmm. this book, it goes into each different um, star sign and goddesses and, you know, different, different parts about each star sign, but can you give some insight into how you perhaps decided upon the deities that you that are assigned to each star sign. I know you offer a main goddess and also some others to consider too. Right, yeah. Yeah, so um, first thing I did is I, I meditated on the archetypal qualities of each sign. So it's yeah. element, it's essence, the ruling planet or god or goddess associated with it. And then after that came hours of research into cross-cultural deities, goddesses who aligned with those archetypal motifs. So yeah. usually one would stand out as being especially attuned with the characteristics of a given sign or archetype. And that would be the one I chose as the main guiding goddess archetype for that sign. But there are several others that also embody each sign. Other, if I wrote about all of them in length, my book would have been like 10 times as long. So it just, you know, <laughs> I had a word count. <laughs> so I, I, I wanted to include the others as well, because for some people, they are drawn to those, those particular deities. So they are to be found in the correspondences at the end of each chapter. So if someone is drawn to exploring another goddess that corresponds archetypally to a sign, I highly encourage them to research and work with that deity as they are called to. So that's sort of the story of that. I mean, for, I'll give you an example. Say, let's take Aries. Um, yeah. So Aries, Aries is ruled by Mars to, in traditional yeah. astrology. And so it is the Aries is the warrior. A lot of people know that. So that's where I began. I, I think there are many warrior goddesses, you know, and through mm -hmm. many cultures and time periods in history. So why does it have to be a male deity? Why does it have to be Mars? <laughs> so yeah, what is right. a, 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 you know, a female deity that I can tap into that holds these same qualities of protectiveness, you know, being the warrior, the someone who would, you know, create boundaries and stand up for injustice. What? So anyway, so I went through many, many, many different goddesses. And the one that I thought really closely corresponded with the sign of Aries is um, the Irish goddess Maka, whose name means yeah, the great with her. Queen. <laughs> Yeah, I love Maka. Yeah, the um, great queen. Um, Sorry. And you were spot. No, you were so spot on with with her for for Aries. And actually, so obviously, the minute I got the book, I was like, oh, straight to you know, straight. Everyone's. I'm sure everyone does this when they buy your book. Is go straight to their star sign and see who. Of course. Yes. <laughs> I know. They, but I went through and 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 actually, I've really got um this is such an interest of mine anyway and I went through and I've just been sort of um skipping ahead although I'm reading for at the moment and and every single one I'm like yes I can absolutely see why you know you put them and it, yeah it's really mm. well done um I love it honestly um thank you I, I have to say your two books have been an absolute treasure to find a kind of had a little bit of a glut where I sort of run out of, um, you know, just just the topic is just really interesting. And I sort of had a little bit of a glut of, of non-fiction non books that I was really intrigued to read. But both have come firm favourites of mine. So I'm really curious, because you do reference actually some of your, um, you know, work that you've come across in other books and so on in your books. But whose work and what books mm. have inspired you deeply when it comes to your own work, but also perhaps your spiritual practice as well? Yeah, that's a great question. So right off the top of my head, um, Carl Jung is a huge, yeah. huge influence for me. Um, I have a certificate in Jungian and post-Jungian um, clinical concepts, and I've been studying his work 
for decades. So absolutely. Um, also another Jungian, Maria Louise von Franz, James mm -hmm. Hillman's work, Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who wrote Women yeah. Who Run With the Wolves is a big influence. Uh, also Jean Shinoda Bolin, Dr. Jean Shinoda Bolin. She wrote um, Goddesses in Every Woman, Gods in Every Man, um, a bunch of other wonderful books as well, but those two really stand out. Uh, for astrology, I love Liz Green. Um, I still yeah. think her work is amazing. And she's also a Jungian analyst too. So she brings those two things together, which I find just a beautiful pairing. Um, Aaron Sullivan was one of my teachers. Richard yeah. Tarnas, yeah. Richard Tarnas, who wrote Cosmos and Psyche, which is an extremely valuable book, especially in terms of archetypal astrology. Um, Stephen Forrest, I love Stephen Forrest's mm -hmm. work. He is lovely and just so down to earth. Um, so yeah, so those are some of them. I also, I love folklore. I love medieval mm -hmm. female mystics like Teresa of Avila and Mother Julian yeah. of Norwich. Yeah. So all of these together and probably many, many more that I'm not thinking of, um, are definitely part of my inspiration. Mm -hmm. Love this. And I, I absolutely, no, I'm going to go through the list that you've given and start looking, looking up some books. I'm sure other people will as well. Um, <laughs> I and, I and actually connected to this so one of the last questions I ask all our guests is what music do you listen to whilst you're working or perhaps within your sacred practice maybe with rituals or I don't know is there any any music in particular that you are happy to offer up and let us know about oh, absolutely yeah this is a great <laughs> I love this question this is a great question um when I'm working I I tend to listen to a lot of um classical music i listen to a lot yeah. of harp harp music not Love so much I, I can't i can't work with um any lyrics or singing so instrumental for sure i'm particularly yeah. fond of a piece called the old tree by peter b helland and i sometimes okay. have that on in the background for literally for hours while i'm working um for sacred practice, I tend to like drums without vocals. I also like mm -hmm. Jana Reynolds, Reynolds quite a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes I listen to Lorena McKennett and I love the medieval babes. <laughs> I am a huge Oh, fan. Yes, yes, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've been <laughs> listening to, uh, me and Rachel have listened to some of their stuff together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I was, it was sort of my, my own heyday when I, lived in London back in the late 90s. So I was, I really loved the medieval babes. <laughs> oh, this is part of the book I love because obviously, um, so Danielle has lived in the UK and you lived in Glastonbury, didn't you? If I got that right. I did between London and Glastonbury, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's a really good backstory in this, in, um, sorry, a lantern in the dark in regards to Danielle. So I was really, I was just, I was saying earlier, like it's really nice to read yeah, like the backstory of the author and your experiences as well of the different, you know, I, I do think that always sort of sheds a little bit more light. And yeah, it was really interesting, actually. Um, Danielle, what other, what things have you got going on currently? Any projects you're happy to tell us about? Anything exciting going on for this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about um, teaching this year. Um, I've been doing a lot of teaching recently and I'm doing a series of classes from the book a lantern in the dark so a series on the midlife transits and also on the second saturn return so that will be starting up in the fall again and i'm also doing i'm doing a i have a class that i did in the spring which i'm going to do again this fall called introduction to sacred astrology so it's three sessions long and just i love teaching that one so it's it's a really fun one to do love that that's no thank you so much we'll have to look into that i will put links into the show notes in regards to all of danielle's work danielle where can we find you socials and so on sure yeah so um you can find me on instagram at danielle blackwood astrologer um you can find me on facebook just under danielle blackwood and you know send me a friend request i'm always happy to connect with people. I also have my business page too, but I'm much easier to get on my personal Facebook page. So 
and I do post regular astrology updates and the vibe of the day, so to speak. So if you're interested in looking at that through an archetypal astrology perspective, I've got that up there quite regularly. Um, what else? Oh, my, my website is danielleblackwood.com. So that's how you can find me. I will put all your links into the show notes because I'm sure lots of witches will want to find you. Your work is amazing. I am so trying not to fangirl the whole moment. I've had many <laughs> moments where I've totally kind of lost the plot with my interviewing skills, but I've loved having you on and no. I'm so grateful, Danielle. Thank you so much. Oh, it's <laughs> been my pleasure. Absolutely. I've had a, a wonderful time and your interviewing skills are amazing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> No, thank you. <laughs> you must read both of Danielle's books. Honestly, I, I wholeheartedly recommend them. Thank you so much. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.